welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by lead pastor Robert Herber. For more messages and resources, head to allpeopleschurch.org or download our free All People's app. How are you doing? Hey, um, as we get started, just want to uh, give this pastoral tidbit. I've done this in each service. If you have your children in the service, you're going to want to take them out to children's time. This is a very mature topic and, and inappropriate for kids to hear. We're diving into a deep, painful story in the Bible. And um, if you have a uh, spouse that acts like a child, you could take them out too. <laughs> uh, but speaking of families, uh, here's a couple of funnies to, to begin with. Little five-year-old Johnny was in the bathtub and his mom was washing his hair she said to him, wow, your hair's growing so fast. You need a haircut again. Little Johnny replied, well, maybe you should stop watering it so much. <laughs> Here's another one. <laughs> a father was trying to teach his young son the evils of alcohol. He put a worm in a glass of water and another worm in a glass of whiskey. The worm in the water lived while the one in the whiskey curled up and died. All right, son, he said, what does this show you? The son said, well, Dad, it shows that if you drink alcohol, you won't have worms. <laughs> so one of the famous character comparison studies done in our nation was in 1877, a man named Robert Dugdale had been, no, Richard Dugdale, excuse me, had been visiting prisons in New York and he was intrigued to find over 40 different men that were all related back to the same man named Max, Max Jukes. And so they began to study the descendants of Max Jukes. Max, Max was born in the early 1700s of Dutch descent. Uh, and some of the characteristics they noted about him is he was a hard drinker. He was idle, not hardworking. He was irreverent, didn't pursue education, and didn't invest in his offspring. And so as they found in his offspring, by the time that 1877 had come about, there were 1,000 descendants. And as they began to list the descendants, they found this, seven murderers, 280 paupers, 140 were criminals, 128 were prostitutes, 52% of the females were what Dugdale called harlots, engaged in outside of marriage sexual relations. 300 died prematurely, and the Jukes family had cost the state in the late 1800s $1,250,000. So now in the same era, another family was studied because of how many descendants they had that had made such a positive contribution to the society. This was the descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Edwards, a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing man. He married Sarah Edwards, they had 11 children, and one of the factors about Jonathan Edwards is he determined to spend time with each of his children investing in them. Of the descendants, they found about the same number as Max Jukes, but here was the difference. Among them, there were almost no lawbreakers. There were 75 Army and Navy officers. There were 62 doctors. There were 65 professors, 80 who held public office, 100 in Christian ministry, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, three mayors, three governors, three senators, and a U.S. vice president. 
The story of Edwards versus Jukes is an example of what sociologists call the five-generation rule. And this is what Mark Merrill writes, how a parent rises, raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, influences not only their children, but the four generations to follow. You know, today my message is on building a healthy family, but I've chosen an interesting title because we're looking at David's failure. So my message is entitled, How to Ruin Your Family. How to Ruin Your Family. And of course, my desire is for you to learn from David's mistakes and do the opposite through the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's Word. So let's turn to the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 13, where we find this very sad but very informative story. It says, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah. David's brother, Jonadab, was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make me some special bread in my sight so I might eat from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food here into my bedroom so I might eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where can I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You'd be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up, get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out, bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. Tragic story. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that the scripture doesn't avoid the challenges of life because we live in a painful world. Daily we're seeing news of things that break our hearts. And so I'm deeply grateful that the scripture addresses the tragedies and travesties that can occur and helps us understand how we can walk forward in life. Now, the first thing I want to say, some preliminary comments. If you're a woman in this room that's been molested or raped or uh, abused, we want to say we're so, so sorry. And, and let me just not just say the women in this room. I know that's happened to many men as well. And our hearts break for you. 
And know that in this church, this is a place where you can talk about that. You can bring it into the open. You don't have to hide. You don't have to act like you have a perfect life. What we want to do is wrap our arms around you and help you find restoration and healing. We found when we started this church that next to San Diego State and going into City Heights, we estimated about 80% of our women, we were doing counseling all the time, 80% of our women had experienced something like that. And so we think that breaks the heart of God, and we want to help people move forward in their life. The second thing I want to address is people who perpetrated that kind of travesty against someone, whether you're a man or a woman who's done something like this to hurt someone else. We first want to say that's wrong. It's a sin. You should be convicted in your heart of what you've done, and you need to repent. You need to tell God you're sorry. Even if everyone around you has done those kind of things, it doesn't make it okay. And so you need to repent also to the persons that you've done that to and and make it right and accept those consequences. But let me tell you this. God is a God of new beginnings. And no matter what you've done, he can forgive you, wash you clean. And the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. So we believe in a church where people can come clean with their issues and be restored back into a holy life and set up a new generation for prosperity and blessing. And that's what this message is about this morning. So looking at the first two verses, in the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin. It seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. I'm going to give you a list of failures of David. I encourage you to take notes. Go back and study them because these are things that we want to walk away from as the people of God. The number one failure, the first failure I see is the failure to teach our children about relationships. David was a man of God. He loved the place of God. He loved to worship. He loved going to church. And he was also a good leader. He was leading the people of Israel back into their glory day. But one thing that we see that he failed to do was spend time teaching his children the ways of the Lord. Can I just tell you, it's our responsibility if you're a parent. It's not a school's responsibility. It's not a church's responsibility. Oh, we want to come alongside you. But you've got to talk to your kids about the ways of the Lord. And David would have known as a man who loved God's word, Leviticus 18, that says, do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same house or elsewhere. He would have taught his son and and seen what his son was doing, but he wasn't teaching him. Can I just tell you, parents, we need to be teaching our kids. And so what I do is I, I, I make my times with the kids opportunity not to lecture them, but to tell them stories at dinner. I'm always asking them what's going on in their life. Every day, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, hey, tell me something that happened today, whether it was good, whether it was bad, or whether it was interesting. And the one thing I don't accept is one-word answers. Nothing. Say, uh-uh. You can't say that to me. And then I try to put myself in the place where I know my kids will talk to me. So for Hallie, my sweet daughter, it's Starbucks. Like, I know that it, it's like if I give her a caramel frappuccino, it's like a truth serum for her. <laughs> she'll, just, she'll just start talking. And so I, we play the question game. I'll say, I'll ask you a question, then you have to ask me a question. And, and, and we get warmed up, and we start getting into life. For Hudson, my son, my oldest son, it's after a sports game. Man, he'll just talk my ear off after when we're coming home from sports, after he's played his, his games and gotten out and everything. Then he talks. For Joshua, it's easy. You just take him anywhere, and he's <laughs> talking, right? 
for John Mark, it's on the basketball court. We'll be playing basketball, and then he'll start asking me questions. He's nine years old. He'll ask me questions about the meaning of life as long as we're playing basketball. So you got to know your children. you got, you got to understand them and get them in a place where you can talk to them about life, about relationships. And we train them in the way of the Lord. Let me just tell you, one of the tragedies that's happening in our society is parents that are letting their children decide what gender they want to be. Can I just tell you, now, if you struggle with gender identity, and that's, that's questions for you, can I just tell you, you're loved here. You're wanted here. You're accepted here. We care about you. But let me just tell you, there's a way in Scripture that the Bible talks about that God created the male and female, and we're made in the image of God. And so a little child, man, they they have all kinds of questions. They have all, all kinds of wonderings. Who am I? What am I? What should I do? And we need to train them with the truth of the Word of God, not let them decide what they think on any given day. Scientists, scientists the best scientists in the world, the, the, the John Hopkins studies have shown that 80% of the kids that wonder about those things grow out of it. So imagine letting your child decide versus you saying this is what the Bible says about men of God, about women of God. We do that because we love them. Second, failure. Here's a verse three through five. Now Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shimea, David's brother. Jonadab was a shrewd man. He asked Amnon, why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, go to bed and pretend to be ill. Jonadab was a jerk. Jonadab was a bad guy, right? And here's one of our failures as parents. Failure to vet your kid's friends. You say, oh, that's so controlling to tell your kids who they should be friends with. No, it's called wisdom, right? I love what Kendall said the other day in his message. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Can I just tell you, at a young age, oftentimes our kids don't know the type of people they should be with, right? And so we need to vet them. We need to, to get to know them. I'm not saying teach your kids to be jerks to people. Teach your kids to be loving to everyone. That's what I teach my kids. Be kind and loving to everyone, but be deep friends with people who have good morals and love Jesus. So here's the other day. I'm at, um, I'm at a presentation at my kid's school, and I encourage you, if you send your kids to school, go and check in. See how that school's doing. See what they're facing, what's going on in that school. So I'm at a presentation. I'm sitting in the back of the room, and I'm watching my older son, and he has two kids standing next to him, and they're turning and chatting the whole time. They're totally disrespecting the, the presenter up front, and, and, and so I'm watching. My son's not. He's just standing there, but these, these two friends of his are chatting, and so after school, what I did was I said, son, you weren't doing anything wrong, but I, I do want to say, your friends, the whole time, they were disrespecting their authorities, they were chatting it up, and you're going to be guilty by association. You're, you're going to get in trouble because of what your friends were doing. And, and, and Kelly, one of our pastors, his son was on the next row, just sitting there like an angel, looking. And I said, you need to hang with him. You need to be with him. Be an angel by association, right? We, we, we need to... We need to help point our, our kids. Well, interesting enough, Kelly was there two weeks later 
at another presentation, and he said, hey, your son and my son were just sitting together the whole time. I was like, yes. Right? We need to help our kids understand the kind of people to hang out with and warn them about the dangers of running with the wrong crowd. Now, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, so I always want to be friendly with people that live lives very different than me and be kind to them. But the people I want to entrust my life to and spend my time with, Jesus spent the majority of his time with disciples, followers of Jesus. Jesus spent his time with followers of Jesus. Here's the fourth one. Failure to realize your current sin will affect future generations. Now, sometimes we can think, well, I'm going to train my kids well, but it doesn't really matter what I do. So here's the deal. It said, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Now, who was Tamar? Tamar and Absalom, man, they were the most beautiful kids. They were David's kids as well. And they were beautiful. Why? Their, their mom was named Macaw. And Macaw was actually not an Israelite. She was not from the people of God. And David knew, the scripture said, you got to marry someone from the people of God. Like I encourage you in this church, marry someone who's following God. Okay. But David looked to, to a, another people group who were following idolatry and a pagan religion. And the scripture says in Deuteronomy 7, 3, don't have marriages with them. But David did it anyway. I think he was entranced by Macaw's beauty. And so he ends up marrying her. And what happens? He has two kids, Tamar and Absalom. I mean, it says of Absalom that he was like the best looking guy in the whole nation. So I'm sure David was proud of that. But in the end, whatever idol you bow down to will be the idol that comes back to destroy you. Whatever idol you bow down to and you let into your life, it'll be the very thing that comes back to destroy you. So remember, David would bow down to that idol of beauty. He saw Bathsheba. What did it say about Bathsheba? She was very beautiful. And so he drew her into his house. We saw this two chapters ago. He committed adultery with her. I bet that his son Amnon said, hey, when my dad wanted something beautiful, she wasn't his wife, but he just did what he wanted and took her. And so the son goes, I'm going to do the exact same thing. And the son actually goes and rapes a girl that was born to a woman that David should have never married. Are you following me? Our, our sin affects generations. Your sin is not just about you. Your sin affects the next generations. And that's why it's so important to say, Jesus, help me. And to think Whenever you're about to walk into sin, whenever you're about to choose something, no, I don't want to do this for my kid's sake and my grandkids' sake. It's not just about me in the moment. God wants to give you power to walk free. Verse 6, so Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from your hand. You see, this was all a scheme. This was all a plan he concocted. And here's the next failure, failure to discern your kids' evil desires. You know, we we don't want to think that our kids have sin in their hearts, but when we don't, we're duped, right? We're, we're We're being stupid because everyone, right? The Bible says all have sin. So even your precious little kid, right? They're sinners. I hate to break it to you. You say, no, my kid's perfect. No, it's not. Right, my, my, my wife is a children's pastor. I know they're not. Okay. She's not talking about them. Don't you worry. I just know that no kid is perfect. But we as parents, we, we don't want to, 
Here's the thing. We, we get a check in our hearts. Gosh, seems like something's wrong, but, but we don't want to deal with it, right? Like we want to kind of just turn a blind eye or we just want to be naive because it's too painful to think that our kids might do something. So we, we, we put our head, we stick our head in the dirt. Evil comes along. We're like, huh, ah, I just don't want to believe it. And we stick our head in the dirt like an ostrich, right? And actually, did you know the ostriches don't do that when evil comes? Like that's a misnomer. It's an urban legend. Actually, what are ostriches sticking their head in the dirt for? They're sticking their head in the dirt actually because they lay their eggs in the dirt and they stick their head in the dirt to check on they're young, and to take care of those eggs. Ooh, think about that. We need to be more like ostriches. <laughs> when evil comes, stick your head in the dirt and check on your kids. <laughs> I'm serious. When you have a check, when you have a concern, because the Holy Spirit will tip you off, dive in there. Don't, don't, just, don't just glaze over it, right? Dive in there and discern what's going on in your kids. Ask them questions. Verse 7, David went, sent word to Tamar at the palace. So David is sending word to his daughter at the palace. Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in the sight, and baked it. Then she took the pan and served the bread, but he refused to eat it. Look at verse 6. I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so that I might eat it from her hand. Here's the, here's the next failure. Failure to see that spoiling your child destroys them and others. Okay, so David's son says, I need my sister to come bake me some special bread and then feed me from her own hand. He should have been like, cook your own food, son. What's wrong with you? Right, that's spoiled. That's weird, right? But instead, no, failure to see that spoiling your child destroys them and others. Has, has anyone ever worked with, with a spoiled person before in your business? Raise your hand if you've ever worked alongside. Why is everyone on my staff raising their hand? <laughs> and another job, thank you. All right. Did you enjoy working with a spoiled person? No, any students, you ever had a spoiled friend in your class or anything like that? Yeah, everyone raise their hand. Okay, we don't like that. So why do we spoil our kids? Right, we... It, this is not good. Let, let me just tell you, I, I'm an employer. We have about 25 employees here. One of the main things I look for is, is this person spoiled? Like when I'm interviewing someone, if I think they're spoiled, they're not going to get a call back. Why? Because a spoiled person thinks the world revolves around them, right? So one of the reasons we spoil people in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, so many people were raised in families where the parents were just at work all the time, where, they, where they, they were just living for money or living for promotion, and so the kids were latchkey kids, and so a whole generation responded and said, we're not going to be like that. We're going to prioritize our kids, which is a good idea to prioritize your kids, but instead they swung overboard, and they said, the kids are going to be the center. The kids are going to be everything, and can I just tell you, kids should never be the center of a family. Some of you are like, oh. No, Jesus should be the center of a family. Right? The answer is always Jesus in church, right? <laughs> Jesus needs to be the center of the family. And each family member actually needs to lay down their life for another. So it's right for your kids to not always be served. It's right for your kids to have to learn to work. Right? It's, it's not bad to get your kids to do the housework. In fact, you are blessing their future spouse. 
them think, well, anything I want, I get whenever I want it. Well, that's going to be great. Thank you for, for, for messing us up, rest of the world, because you think you should get everything you want. And, and then we have, we have people coming. Now, listen, I'm going to save some of you young people that are going to get a job. Okay. When, when, when you go to, 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 get a, to get a job, I hear about this all the time. You go to get a job. Don't have the first thing you ask of your employers, well, how much time do I get off? I, why, why does that speak to your employer? This person doesn't want to work. Right? Guys, I'm going to save you. You're, we're going to get so many jobs in this, in this church just because you're going to go. Because, man, uh, it's a privilege to work. It's a privilege to have a job. It's a privilege to go and serve and to, and to build and to, to move society forward. And so the thing we don't ask is, well, what does this do for me? And how much money am I going to make? And how much? No, those, find out those things. But I guarantee you they're written somewhere. I, I'm like tipping you off to be so wise right now. Because just go and find that stuff online. But ask questions that show that you're a diligent, hardwood. Christians should be the most diligent. The most faithful. The Bible says if you're faithful and little, God will make you ruler over much. Mm. Someone's going to start preaching here. <laughs> Don't destroy your kids by spoiling them. Now, what happens is David does spoil Amnon. He, he sends Tamar in to do this, right? <clears throat> where, where, and, and what happens it sets up a bad scenario where Amnon takes advantage of, of Tamar and he rapes her. It's just awful. It's this awful tragedy. And then all of a sudden his heart turns wicked. I mean, I think an evil spirit probably comes in him. And now he's commanding her to get out. And what happens, it says this in verse 21, when King David heard all this, he was furious. Now, was that wrong? No, let me just tell you, it's not wrong to be angry. Okay, so here's where parents beat themselves up. They're like, my kids make me so angry. And then the enemy comes in and goes, well, then you're not a good Christian parent. You know what the Bible says? In your anger, do not sin. It's right. Like when one of my kids goes off and hits the other one, it's right for me to be angry because that is unjust and that's harsh. But the question is, what do I do with that? Okay, it's right. Some, some kids... They don't know what to do in life because their parents acted like they were never angry. They hid it from them. And so when they're angry, they're like, I don't know what to do. I guess anger is a sin. No, it's what you do with it. So David's furious. I think David so didn't want his kids to see his anger that he does nothing. Okay? So for a couple of years, he does nothing. And, and here's the problem. It's the next failure, failure to discipline your children. Because Proverbs 23, 13 through 15 says this, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. Now, here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you get angry, then go and discipline your kid. No, actually, you don't want to discipline in anger. Get angry, cool down, but then the right thing to do is to discipline your child. 
Why? Because they gain wisdom from it. Why? Because it drives out folly from their hearts. Why? Because you prevent them from getting killed. My children, you know, you think, well, that's harsh if you ever yelled at your kids. No, not if they're out running in that road right there and about to get hit. That's right to say, don't do that, right? Because you're saving them from danger. That's what discipline is. You don't go and hit them out of how to anger. You don't try to get, discipline is not getting back at your kids. Discipline is training. So I, I, I remember the last time I got a spanking. I was a, I was a preteen. Uh, I was uh, on a swim team and we were slated to win this big invitational meet. It was the last meet of the year. I was swimming anchor for the deal, but I had hurt my knee. And I have a very loving, kind father who's also strong. And I was on crutches, and it was two weeks for me to recover before this invitational meet. But we were out at a picnic with the swim team, and everyone started playing football. And if you know me, I love football, so I couldn't resist playing. So I dropped my crutches, and I'm hopping around on one leg trying to play quarterback. And all of a sudden, my dad walks up, and he goes, Robert. And I went, ooh. Now, he didn't humiliate me. He didn't yell at me. He just said, come here, son. He said, we're going home. Got in the car, and I knew I was in trouble. We drive to my room, and he goes, Robert, I've got to talk to you. Son, why were you doing that? I had asked you not to do anything like that. And he starts crying. He goes, the reason I don't want you to do something like that is, Robert, you could permanently injure yourself. He said, you could, you could permanently injure yourself, and it would affect your whole team who's depending on you as well. And he said, that's why I have to give you a spanking. And I remember him crying through it. See, that's the heart of Father God, is the reason he disciplines us is because he loves us, and he wants the best for us. And so he's helping us not destroy ourselves. Parents, don't let your kids destroy themselves. Discipline them. And so what did dad do? He gave me a spanking. He didn't abuse me. He didn't hurt me. But it it was just a a, a thing that helped me understand I'm going in the wrong direction. I can't do that without getting stopped by a loving father. After he did it, he wrapped me up in in his arms. And he didn't shame me. He sent me away and said, I love you, son. That's the heart of a good parent. You're clear. You discipline, and you wrap up in love. And you don't shame someone after that. It impacted me forever. Verse 22, watch this. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon. So Absalom's Tamar's brother. And after Tamar gets raped by Amnon, Absalom says he never said a word to his brother, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Two years later, two years later, can I just tell you, here's the next failure I see in parents, is failure to intervene in in divisions in the family. A a good parent doesn't let there be divisions in the family. Well, some of us think, oh, that's just how families are. There's sibling rivalry. People are harsh with each other. A good parent says, no, not in my house. That's not how we're going to be. Love will reign in this house. Bullying is not okay. Unforgiveness is not okay. I learned this from my mom. She was always trying to bring me and my sisters together. Anytime we started comparing ourselves, anytime we started fighting, she'd take one of us and and tell us how much the other sibling actually loved them and believed in them. And she made us champions of each other and cheerleaders for each other. I love what one of my uh, 
uh, preacher I love to listen to, Judah Smith. He's hilarious. And he said, he said one of the things that helped him is that his dad, if, if, if he and his sister ever started fighting, they had to make up and then he had to give her a kiss. He had to give her a kiss on the cheek. And he said, man, we didn't fight much at all. Because <laughs> he's like, I did not want to have to kiss my sister on the cheek. I heard that. I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I have my sons do that with each other. My rough and tumble football player sons, they, they get into it. They're harsh with each other. I'm saying, you got to hug them. And they're like, no. I'm like, no, you got to hug them. Now you got to kiss them. And they're all like, <laughs> you know. And they, by the end, they're always cracking up. They're always, you see, a, a, a good coach always fights for unity on a team. And that's what you are as a parent. And let me just tell you, if you're, if you're a parent with grown kids, don't let there be dissension and division in your family. I know it gets more complicated, and that's why it's so good to start doing it young, but fight for it, pray for it, intervene. The, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Coming towards the end here, verse 23, two years later when Absalom's sheep shears were at Baal Hazor near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's sons to come there. So it had been two years, this family's divided, but now it's shearing time. Absalom went to the king and said, your servant has, this, has had shearers come. Will the king and his attendants please join me? Now let me just tell you, sheep shearing time was a time that brought the community together. I have a couple of alpacas. It's like a big reunion when we all bring our alpacas to be sheared all together on the farm. So this is a time of community. Right? This is a time to bring people back together. Can I just tell you, parents, when your kids are inviting you into something, go into it. Jump into it. Because the older they get, the less they'll invite you into things. So you need to go on their terms, not just on your terms. Right? For some reason, teenagers love to pour out their hearts after 11 p.m. It's like a scheme of the enemy or something. But no, but you got to be there. That's when they're going to talk. And so you, you have to bend to, you have to know when your kids are wanting to talk and you get there and you be in there because when we're not involved, here, because here's the next failure I see, failure to be actively involved in your child's lives, right? right? It opens up the door for the enemy to get in. Yeah. So look at this. The king says, verse 25, no, my son, all of us should not go. We would only be a burden to you. Although Absalom urged him, he still refused to go, but gave him his blessing. I think in that vacuum, right there, when Absalom realized, oh, my dad's not going to come. He's not going to be with me. Our family's not going to be together. All of a sudden, he has this thought. Then Absalom said, if not, well, please let my brother Amnon come with us. The king asked him, why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him, so he sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. You know, what, you know where I was exposed to pornography? was in a kind family's house, but that were disengaged with their kids and weren't involved in their lives. It wasn't bad, wicked people. It was just people that didn't know what was going on with their kids. And I just tell you, when we're not involved, it gives the enemy an opportunity to dive in there. Verse 28, Absalom ordered his men, listen, when Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, Strike Amnon down, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Haven't I given you this order? Be strong and brave. So Absalom's men did to Amnon what Absalom had ordered. Then all the king's sons got up and mounted their mules and fled. 
I think if David would have been there, if he would have been at that thing, that would have never happened. Parents, there's a ministry of just being present that we need to give to our kids. Let's finish with verse 35 through 39. Jonadab said to, his, said to the king, See, the king's sons have come. It's happened just as your servant said. As he finished speaking, the king's sons came in wailing loudly. Devastation has come to David's home. The king, too, and all his attendants wept very bitterly. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Jezreel. But David mourned many days for his sons. This is so tragic. This is finally death in David's home. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you have had a child that's died, it's your fault. Like, that, that happens. And if you've lost a child, our hearts are with you. Uh, a parent should never have to bury their child. And so we grieve with you. We mourn with you. We want to walk with you. And bad things happen to great families. So tragedy strikes great families. But what I am wanting to promote to you is that we want to position ourselves as parents in the best way to set a guard around our home and to protect our offspring and to set them up for blessing and to help them walk in the way of the Lord. And that's not what David was doing. And so all of a sudden he has a rape and now he has a murder and soon he'll have another death with even a son, Absalom. Verse 38, after Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Can I just show you the last failure is failure to forgive and reconcile. Yeah, Absalom created, did, did something horrible. He killed his brother. But for three years, David's heart's beating for him, but he doesn't go. Can I just tell you, we don't forgive because someone deserves to be forgiven. Can I just say that again? You don't forgive because someone deserves to be forgiven. You forgive because we have a forgiving God who's forgiven us. And it's the foundation of our faith. And the same spirit that forgave you is going to empower you to forgive family members who've done horrible things. So when we fail to forgive, we fail to appropriate the grace of Christ in our homes. And so no matter what your child has done, no matter what any family member has done, forgive them and you let the grace of God rush into your home. You know, it's by what Jesus did for us on the cross. All of these things that we're talking about today, I don't want you to walk out going, okay, I've got this list of all these things. Now I've got to go out and be perfect. No, you'll never be perfect. It's all about receiving the grace of God. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While, while we were at our worst, Jesus gave us the best. He gave us his life. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. No matter what's been done to you or no matter what you've, been, you've done to others, you can be forgiven. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You call on Jesus. You put your faith in his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. He washes you clean. Then he pours his spirit in you. And that spirit is what's going to empower you to be a family creator, not a family destroyer. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his power and his grace. Why don't we stand up? If I could just quickly have some leaders come down, some life group leaders, training school students, and if you just pray with me while they're coming, if you just close your eyes. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that your word 
doesn't skip over hard topics. And Lord, I thank you that at the end of David's life, he was known as a man who fulfilled the call of God in his generation. And he was known as a friend of God. So Lord, even ones in here that just say, I've been a failure, I've messed up time and time again, I thank you that today they, they can turn and say, but I've put my eyes on Jesus and they could finish well. And Lord, I'm praying for ones that have tremendous pain in their heart from their family, their families of origin. I thank you, God, that you are the father to the fatherless. You are the one that puts lonely in families. You're the healer of our hearts. You're the one who comforts us in our pain. And today... 